If you're able, would you remain standing? And would you turn to Psalm 119, verse 17. We're going to read verses 17 through 24. And we're going to focus on verse uh, 18. This is the word of our Lord, Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commitments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servants meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray to speak to us through it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. First, I want you to notice that if you have your Bible open, that you have uh, the word, most likely have the word gimel on top of that section. Is that, does everybody see that? Do you have that there? And then to the left of it, you have a little symbol. That's the Hebrew letter. That's the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, is the word for camel in Hebrew. So in Paleo-Hebrew, in, in ancient Hebrew. Uh, by the way, this is all bonus for you. Uh, the, the Hebrew script that we have in the Bible is not the original Hebrew. That's actually Aramaic characters. Because once Israel is taken captive to Babylon, to, to Assyrian and Babylon, they replaced the ancient Hebrew alphabet with the Aramaic alphabet. So what we, what we use today in the Bible is Aramaic alphabet. And then, um, but the ancient Hebrew script... The word, the little letter for G was the picture of a camel. A very rudimentary picture of a camel, but that's, that's what was that. So it's a pictorial voca um, alphabet there. And the reason why you have that little letter there is because every verse in that section, each one of those eight verses, the first word starts with that letter. So... It's supposed to be poetry, right? It's supposed to be sung, and every 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 beginning of each line in this verse we start with the sound g g g g. So you can think of that, uh, and that's true of every every section of eight verses in Psalm 119 starts with a, a particular Hebrew letter. If uh, um, Spurgeon in the Treasury of David, which is a commentary on the Psalms, uh, he does a good job in trying to approximate into English what this Psalm would have looked in. Hebrew by using, you know, he, he has to shift things around, but he tries to begin each word, each, each section with a word, with the same letter of the English alphabet. So it might be profitable for you to take a look at that, just have a feel uh, for it. 
Psalm 119, if you ever read it, is all about the Bible. Uh, it's, it's the longest, longest chapter in, in the Bible by far, with 176 uh, verses. It is a prayer from the psalmist praying that the Word of God would have its way with him. Ultimately, that's what he's asking God, that the Word of God would just have its way in the hand of the Spirit, would have its way with him. If you read through it, you're going to find words like law and way and statutes, judgments, words, precepts, commandments. All these words apply to the revealed Word of God. There are different ways to talk about the Bible in Psalm 119. And this morning, what I would like for us to do is to look at the two-rail train track that this verse suggests for our Bible reading. Uh, particularly verse 18, that's the verse we're going to be looking at. The, the two rails of this train are prayer before the throne of God and meditation on the Word of God. These are two things that have to be present in our lives. And this, this track that God has appointed for us lead us, now it would take our souls to holiness. And as we stay on this, prayer and meditation on the Word of God, the Spirit uses that to make us more and more holy, which is really ultimately our call in this life. Uh, I don't think, at least in our culture, I don't think the church realizes that our calling life is not to be happy, but to be holy. And they're not, you, know, you don't have to choose one or the other, though, because the Bible talks about joy and happiness being a consequence, a byproduct of obedience. And the Bible, when the Bible talks about happiness, it's always in the context of flowing from obedience to the Lord. And that's why joy is not tied to the circumstances that surround us, but really tied to how we view God and His Word and how we respond to that. So I would like to start by seeing four things concerning meditation and prayer in the Psalm, 108, uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. And then I wanted to consider seven ways to soak our Bible reading prayer from Psalm 119. So we're going to start just really close, focusing on verse 18. Then we're going to look at, very quickly, at all 176 verses. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's the, that's the plan uh, for this morning. So get comfy. If you need to get up and get a cup of coffee, uh, the, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, Nick. <laughs> so four things for us to learn from Psalm 119. Again, remember, specifically verse 18, remember, my t one of my titles is Captain Obvious. But after 20 plus years of ministry, I've learned that it's important to state the obvious. Because often it's not obvious to everybody. But the first thing I want to notice here in Psalm 119, verse 18, is that there are wonderful things in the Word of God. Look at verse 18. It says... Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things or wonderful things from your law. So the first thing we need to see here is that there are wonderful things to see in the Word of God. That every time we come to the Bible, we have to come with that expectation. I'm ready to see some wonderful things. And often that's a matter of, matter of um, attitude, then necessarily a matter of what we read. That we come expecting that. We often are going to find that... Uh, I'm not a, a very mystic sort of person, you know, touchy-feely sort of person, but I just finished reading through First and Second Chronicles. 
I, I think First Chronicles chapters 1 through 9 are the most difficult chapters to read in the Bible. Because there are just a list of names, and often not even a list of names. That, that, that is just literally just names. Not even son of is in there. Just names, names, names. And yet, as I was reading through it, with, I think, the right attitude, even the notion that all these people have gone before God, all these people served God, uh, and they are gone, and yet God continues to be faithful to His people, and God continues to be, to be period, was, was a wonderful thing to see in His Word. The, the word law here in verse 18 is the word Torah. Uh, we often think of Torah as just meaning law, but it actually means instructions or teaching. Ultimately, that's the meaning of the word Torah. So there are wonderful things in God's teaching to us, and we should seek to see them. In fact, they are so wonderful that when you really see them, they change you profoundly and empower holiness and love within you. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, But we all, with unveiled faces... Now, remember, it is a reference to Moses, that Moses could only come before the Lord or before the people with veiled faces. But we, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And where do we see that? Where is the mirror of the glory of the Lord? Well, James tells us that that mirror is the Word of God. And as we see these wonderful things, we are transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory. As if if it can get more glorious, that's what's happening to us as we see these wonderful things in the Word of God and empowers in us holiness and love and this is why reading and knowing and meditating on the word of god and memorizing the word of god is so crucial for us so that this transformation can keep on on happening meditation on the word of god is equivalent of a low release medicine uh, You know, you have time release uh, medicine. You say, oh, you take this painkiller, and because it releases itself slowly, you you are going to be pain-free for 12 hours. Meditation does that from the Word of God. You read the Bible, we memorize the Bible, and then we think about it throughout the day, and that's that slow release is the gift, as it were, that keeps on giving. The second thing I want us to see here in verse 18, the second thing we learn from this verse is that no one can see these wonderful things for what they really are without God's supernatural help. You see what the prayer is in verse 18? Open my eyes. Who is he asking to do that? He's asking God to open his eyes. If God does not open our eyes, we will not see the wonder of the word. We just won't. We are not naturally able to see this, the, to see spiritual beauty. We're, because of sin, because we, we, we fell in Adam, we're not naturally able to see spiritual beauty. When we read the Bible without the help of God, and this is true even for believers, if, we, if, we, if we're not relying on the Spirit of God and we're not relying on the help of God to read the Bible and we read it without the help of God, the glory of God in the, in the teachings that we see in the Bible, in the events of the Bible, is like the sun shining in the face of a blind man. He might even feel the warmth of the sun, but he can't see the beauty that the sun brings to the things 
around around him. Now, not that that doesn't mean that we can't construe its surface meaning when you read the Bible. An unbeliever can understand uh, the sequence of events. The unbeliever can understand the outline of the, the sequence of an argument and so on. But you can't see the wonder, the beauty, the glory of it such that it wins your heart. If we don't have God open our eyes when we read the Bible. Because ultimately that's what we want, right? We want God to win our hearts through His Word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's why in our nature we cannot receive. But when God opens our eyes, we see it. Thirdly, I want us to learn from this verse that we must pray to God for supernatural illumination when we read the Bible. Again, not an obvious statement, but Bible should always Bible reading should always be accompanied by prayer. We should even even our, even in our liturgy of Bible reading, you know, we should however however we do it, whatever we do it, we pray and then we read. And then we pray again, because prayer also flows from Bible reading. So, and why do we pray for illumination? Well, because we're helpless in ourselves to see spiritual beauty and the wonder of God in the teachings and events of the Bible. So we pray that He would open our eyes, as the psalmist does. Fourthly, God shows the beauty and excellence of Christ only to those who look into the Word of God. I see that in verse 8, 18, when the psalmist says, open my, eyes that, open my eyes, and what's the purpose of that? That, or so that, I may see wondrous things from your law. So where do we see wonderful things? Where do we see the excellency of Christ? We see that in the Word of God. Because Christ is the most wonderful thing that the Bible talks about. So if we're praying that God will open our eyes to see the wonderful things in the Bible, we're praying that God will open our eyes to see Christ himself. The Bible is the place that the Lord reveals his beauty and the excellence of Christ. We live in a time where people want to see God everywhere. Christians want to see God everywhere. Oh, we don't need to read the Bible. We don't need to be in church to hear the Bible preached. We're just going to go for a walk at Capitol Forest and we can commune and see God in that. Yet it is in the Bible that we see Him clearly. These are the Christ is the wonderful. Remember what's one of the titles that Isaiah 9 gives to Him? Uh, I, he is the wonderful counselor. Christ is the wonderful one. So if we want to see wonderful things in the Word of God, we need, we, we, we need to, if we want to see wonderful things, we need to look for it in the Word of God where we find Christ himself. Now, having focused on this verse 18, now we're going to look at the other 175 verses, and we're going to categorize them into seven ways to soak our Bible study with prayer. So let's, let's take a little tour, and it's going to be, you know, you might want to buckle up, put your neck um, brace on, because it's going to be at light speed as we go through these uh, these verses. I want to so I want to take you on a little tour of Psalm 119, and see seven kinds of prayer with which you can soak your Bible reading on a daily basis. So as we read, we should pray first. Number one, that God would teach us His Word. Again, obvious, but that's a prayer that we need to utter. Look at verse 12. 
Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Look at verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. Look at verse 66. Sorry, I have a new Bible and the pages are still stuck together. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. For you to, so that you don't think that they all bunched up in this section. Look at verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. I, I love this one. This verse where the, to make his face shine upon somebody is to have his blessings, to have his grace poured upon them, for God to look favorably upon them. And here the author equates the favor of God with actually learning from God. And, and that's what we want to do. So we would pray as we read our Bible that God would teach his word. True learning of God's word is only possible if God himself becomes the teacher in and through all other means of teaching. Not only when we read the Word, but when we hear preaching, when we read books about the Bible, all these are means that God uses, but they're only profitable if God is using them. The second thing we should pray as we read our Bible is that God would not hide His Word from us. And I don't mean in that that we pray that we can find our Bibles. That's not the point. Though, depending where you are and so on, that might be a prayer you need to pray, that you might be able to find your Bible or your car keys or whatever it is that you're looking for. But when, when we pray that God will not hide His Word from us, we're saying that, have you ever had the experience of reading the Bible and feeling like there's nothing there for you? Feeling as dry as you did before you read it? That's, that's the Word of God being hidden from us. So we pray that He would not do that. Look at verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. The Bible warns of the dreadful chastisement or judgment of the Word of God being taken from us. That's one of the judgments listed in Amos chapter 8, where God says, I'm not going to send you a famine of food, but I'm going to send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a he- of hearing the words of the Lord. And when God is saying this, this, this curse is not saying I'm going to make all the Bible manuscripts disappear. He's saying you're going to have it there, but you're going to read it, or you're going to hear the prophets speak, but you're not going to see me in that. That's God hiding his word from, from us. Look at verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. The third thing we should pray as we read our Bible is that God would make us understand his word. Look at verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Verse 73, 
Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And here we ask God to do whatever he needs to do to get us to understand his word. That's what we're praying for when we pray that. And that's a dangerous prayer. I hope you get that. That's a thing that God will do whatever it takes for us to understand His Word. And this is dangerous because sometimes God brings pain in order for us to understand His Word better. But that, that's a prayer we need to pray and be open to receive an answer from that. The fourth thing we need to pray as we read the Word of God is that God would incline our hearts to His Word. That our hearts would be inclined to obeying it, to following it. Look at verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and do not and not to covetousness. The greatest problem with us is not primarily our reason, but our nature. We are disinclined by nature to read and meditate and memorize the word. So we pray that God would incline our hearts to it, particularly to this area of meditation. I was listening to a podcast, uh, Janie. Jenny Ortland was being interviewed, and she's the mother of the author of the book that we'd be reading as a church. And uh, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with the book. It was just about being a, 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 a pastor's wife. That's what she was being interviewed. And she says something that struck me there. She says, if you can worry, you can meditate. Do you follow that? If you can worry, you can meditate. Because what is worrying? Isn't that considering the thing over and over and being consumed by it and so on? So if you have the ability to worry, then you have the ability to meditate, just replace whatever it is that you're worrying about with what you're reading in the Bible so that your heart can be inclined to the Word of God. The the fifth thing we need to pray as we read our Bible is is that God would give us life to keep His Word. Look at verse 88. Revive me according to your loving kindness that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Notice that the author is not asking to be revived or even to have a long life in order to, in, to just live it for himself. He's asking, revive me so that I can be a display of obedience, so that I can obey you. The goal of life is to serve God. He's aware that we need life and energy to give our, ourselves to the word of and its obedience. So he asks God for this basic need. Give me life that I might obey you. Sixthly, we pray as we read our Bible that God would establish our steps in the word. Look at verse 133. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. We want God to establish, to direct our steps. We are dependent on the Lord, not only for understanding in life, but also for the performance of His Word, for the obedience of His Word. And we pray that it would be established in our lives, because we cannot do that on our own. So as we read the Bible, we need to pray that God would direct our steps, establish it, so that we might obey it. God is not just after our moving our bookmarks in our Bible. He wants us to live out the things that we are reading. He wants us to believe the things that we are reading. And the seventh prayer that we need to soak our Bible reading in is that, is that God would seek us when we go astray from His Word. Look at the very last verse, verse 176. 
I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Isn't that strange that this psalm ends this way? With his praying that the Lord would seek him? Uh, to me, it's remarkable that this godly man, at least that's the impression we get as we read the whole psalm, ends his psalm with a confession of sin and the need for God to come after him and bring him back. This too, we must pray again and again. Because if God doesn't keep us, we will not be kept. And we need to pray this prayer in the days where we feel like we are the furthest from the Lord but also in the days that we feel the closest to the Lord, because it is God's daily faithfulness to us that keep us from straying from Him. And He uses His Word to work in us to keep us from straying from, from Him. As Christians, we long to be holy and loving and radically committed to God's purpose in the nations. So we must be people who treasure the Word in our hearts we must be more than that, though. We must be people who know our desperate condition apart from God and that He has appointed prayer as the way that our eyes will be open to see wonder in the Word and to be changed. So pray and read. Read the Word. Remember, this is a privilege. God is, didn't have to reveal Himself to us, yet He has. But not only a privilege, it's an obligation that we have. And also, every time you open your Bible, remember, you have the potential of seeing God in the pages of the Scriptures. So pray and read, but do more. Pray and study. B.B. Warfield uh, was confronted with something. B.B. Warfield was a uh, faithful professor at uh, Princeton Seminary during the good days of Princeton Seminary in the turn of the 1800s to the 1900s. He did a lot of good work on the inspiration of the scriptures and so on. And he loved the scriptures. And when he was confronted with the idea of praying and reading, he said this. Sometimes we hear it said that 10 minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than 10 hours of your books. What is the appropriate response? What? Then 10 hours over your books on your knees? Why do you have to choose between 10 minutes in prayer or 10 hours in study? Why don't you do both, pray and study? That's the point that Warfield was bringing. So pray and read, pray and study, pray and turn it upside down. And I don't mean it by, by changing it or by making it say the exactly the opposite, but I'm saying turn it, turn it upside down. Look for everything there is in it. Our approach to the Bible should be like a miser in, a gold, in the gold rush where he is going everywhere looking for gold, or a fiancé who lost her wedding ring in the house and she ransacks the entire house looking for that wedding ring. And that's the way that we seek God uh, in His Word. We ransack it. Uh, that's one of the things I love about the Puritans. If you read Puritan sermons, they'll spend about 15-20 minutes actually doing the explanation of the passage you know, how the things work together and so on. And then they'll spend another 40 minutes just on the what they would call uses of the word. And those would be the applications. And they would say, you know, application one or use one, use two, use 55 of, of the same, because they would just 
turn upside down, look from every angle. And that's something that we are called to do as we look at the Word of God. So you pray and read, you pray and study, you pray and turn it upside down, and you pray and think. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 7, that Timothy is to consider what Paul says, and then he says, may the Lord give you understanding. Timothy doesn't want just, Paul, uh, Paul doesn't want Timothy just to receive what he's saying. He wants him to consider, to think about it. And then lastly, we pray and speak. God means for the written word to become the spoken word in preaching and in the mutual exhortation, rebuke, and warning, and encouragement, and counsel to his people. So we read, we pray, read, and speak. The word of Christ to us becomes our word to each other. So we have, we have seen over and over, prayer is indispensable if we would see the glory of God in the word of God. But we have also seen that reading and study and ransacking and thinking and speaking the word is also necessary. God has ordained that the eye-opening work of his spirit always be combined with the mind-informing work of his word. His aim is that we see the glory of God and that we reflect the glory of God. And so he opens our eyes when we are looking at the, glo- at the glory of God in his word. And that's why we need to pray with the psalmist. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you about what it says about your word in relation to you and your spirit and your son. We pray indeed that uh, we would be people who are seeing wonderful things concerning you, concerning Christ and your word, and that your word would have its way with us as we seek to obey you. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.